Today's podcast is sponsored by Porter and Hazel Jewelry. Porter and Hazel works with you to create one-of-a-kind gifts that transform memories into keepsake mementos. Is there a favorite quote, lyric, or inside joke that means something special to you? Have them engrave your words directly into their handmade leather jewelry so you don't just give any gift, you give the perfect gift. Check out their products at porterandhazel.com. Welcome to episode 55 of the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, we're talking about running an online fabric shop with my guest, Lindsay Prezano. Lindsay and her husband, Charlie, own Hawthorne Threads. Hawthorne Threads is an online fabric shop offering a vast selection of curated contemporary fabric collections, patterns, and thread for the modern sewer. Lindsay Prezano, welcome. Uh, thank you so much, Abby. Yeah, it's great to have you here. I'm super excited to hear the story of Hawthorne Thread. So let's begin by going back a little bit to how Hawthorne Threads first got started. You opened an Etsy shop in May of 2007. It was called Fabrications by Lynn. And you were making, from what I could tell, um, mostly kind of fabric-covered picture frames and home deck sort of things. And I wondered how that initial start led to you selling fabric. Um. Very surprisingly <laughs> to everyone, um, probably myself, uh, mostly. And it was only Fabrications by Lynn, in fact, because that was the number of characters that Etsy sort of reduced it to. <laughs> so Fabrications by Lindsay wouldn't quite fit. Um, so I was basically home um, with my son, um, who was just, I guess he would have been two at the time, um, not working. Um, my husband, Charlie, and I started a family young, um, just about a year after we got married, just because uh, we had known each other for so long. We were not only high school sweethearts, but uh, childhood sweethearts. <laughs> so we were we were ready to, to get going and have kids young. So um, after I ended my bachelor's degree and got married, um, we basically decided that I would stay home with the kids until they were of school age and then go back to my master's at that time. So I was just a home mom. Um, and Aiden, as a two-year-old, didn't talk too much yet, so just <laughs> busy myself and uh, find something creative to, to keep me occupied during the day until I could uh, talk to Charlie when I got home from work was I just started um, decorating his nursery with uh, fabric-covered picture frames and, um, you know, covered his, his name on the wall with the uh, fabric, and um, all my friends that had kids would come over and, and say that they wanted them too, so like a lot of businesses on Etsy, um, sort of grew out of uh, requests from friends and family and everybody saying, you should sell these things. So I, I started an Etsy shop. Okay. So you started the Etsy shop and you were making these, selling them because people liked them and you liked making them. And that was sort of probably the first taste of having a business, right? Like the first time when you have customers and customer service and shipping and right. Did it kind of give you a little bit of a taste of like entrepreneurship? Yeah. I mean, much to my surprise, um, you know, it was also before Etsy became, um, flooded uh, a little bit with uh, lots of new new people starting shops. It, it wasn't too, too well-known quite yet. Um, so I enjoyed some moderate success. Um, 
And basically there was uh, what I came to realize was a little bit of a hole in the online fabric industry um, because I would want to basically resell that same item several times um, rather than having to sort of reinvent the wheel each time and photograph it and beautiful lighting and um, do all that work that goes up into leading to a listing on Etsy. Um, it's, it's far easier to, to resell that a few more times um, and not have every item be one of a kind. Um, and as you know from your own Etsy shop, you know, it, it's very difficult to make any sort of money out of a handmade um, business endeavor. So to try to lower my costs um, on buying fabric and that coupled with the fact that I often couldn't find the fabric available online for too long because a lot of shops would basically buy one line, sell it out, and then move on to the next. So it wasn't very reorderable. So I decided to buy both myself, um, got a manufacturing ID, and then I resold uh, the rest of that on, on Etsy in a separate supply shop. And um, pretty quickly, people seemed to like the ones that I was picking out, and I was mixing and matching different fabric designers, which um, at the time was pretty different. Um, I know that's not the case now. Um, it was definitely more of uh, the school of thought to just fashion. So people seemed to, to like the bundles that I was making, and it, and it grew pretty quickly. <laughs> Okay, so you were making kind of custom bundles, like you would order exactly. fabric from multiple designers at different companies as well, and then mix and match? Yeah, um, I mean, it was basically, I think, out of necessity, because there was a, a very limited budget, <laughs> and then also just out of personal taste of liking to mix and match things. You know, we couldn't afford to buy a whole collection. Right. Uh, or, or for the fear that that whole thing wouldn't sell and the fear of being left with um, kind of the, the filler, low folk prints, um, if you will. Right, yeah. okay. All right, and so, and so you started to see, like, hey, I might have an eye for this, like for choosing and pairing the fabrics. And so mm-hmm. your, was your second, your second Etsy shop was, um, was called Fabric Supplies, and was it doing better than the first one? Like, did it, did it almost sort of outrun the first one? Um, yeah, that happened pretty quickly. There was an overlap, which was, um, I mean, there were many crazy times in the history of our business, but that was definitely one of them. Um, but I was still trying to, to keep the handmade shop open and also have the supply shop. And I very quickly, um, there weren't enough hours in the day, basically. <laughs> right. Okay. So you, you decided to just do the fabric. And then um, there must have been, though, a moment when you decided I need to sort of, if I want to do this, I got to do this for real, um, you know, got off Etsy and renamed the shop, right? Cause your current shop is not called fabric supplies. It's, it's called Hawthorne thread. So, mm-hmm. so what was like the pivot there when, you know, um, your, your Etsy shop shut down in October of 2009. So that's, you know, maybe two and a half years later, was there like a moment where you where you decided we got to, we got to shift gears? Uh, definitely. I, I remember that very well. And I think still to this day that, um, as you said, the most pivotal moment was the, the decision to really take the plunge, which was when my husband quit his job. Um, so he, he was a software developer, still is, um, but now for us. <laughs> um, and he was, had been in those two years that you mentioned, had been helping me um, printing out shipping labels and answering Etsy 
conversations and emails and all that. And pretty quickly, our our inventory sort of surpassed the the amount that you could really house at an Etsy shop. An Etsy shop is really um, designed for having a lower inventory. You know, there, at the time, I think there were only about maybe eight search categories, and it was quickly becoming very apparent that you can't um, fit hundreds of different kinds of fabrics, or maybe even we were up to thousands by then, um, into that, that few categories. It's just not very navigable. So, um, you're talking, these are the categories that you as a shop owner get on sort of the left side of your Etsy shop yeah. where you can say, okay, we have these sorts of, um, designers or these sorts of companies like free spirit moda, you know, like that sort of thing. And you could only have eight and eight wasn't enough. Exactly. Okay. If you want to search for different kinds of fabrications, um, or if you want to search by theme, if you're looking for fabric with birds on it or by color, anything like that, anything to help the customer find what they're looking for rather than just scrolling page through page through page. Right. And those are the features that we love as online fabric shop customers, right? Mm-hmm. When we go to, I mean, there's a lot of different online fabric shops out there now. And I know that when I go to buy fabric, I love those different options of being able to search by all these different terms and it brings up new things. Um, and you're right that an Etsy shop just wasn't going to give you that. Sure. I mean, you never want a customer to not be able to find what they're looking for and, and not, or not know that you carry something that they, they would have been interested in. Um, right. So, so my husband, um, he had started working on our, our standalone site, Hawthorne Threads, while he was still working and while we were still running um, our Etsy shop. And it just, you know, he would basically start working on it at, say, 9, 10 o'clock at night. And at that rate, we just, it would have taken 10 years to write probably. <laughs> So we just decided that he would leave his job and um, start working on the site full-time. And the fallback plan was that, luckily with his degree, um, even with the the bad economy at at the time, or at least where it was headed, he was in an industry that he he knew he would get a job again somewhere. Um, So we felt scared, but, you know slightly confident in that regard. Um, the scarier part was more in investing into the fabric and the fear of um, not being able to sell it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and so you were still uh, working out of your home, though, at that time, working yeah. out of the basement, and you live in Red Hook, New York. Um, and so... Uh, how so at that time, we, we lived in Albany. Oh, okay. Um, and, we, yes, we were running the shop, Um well, it, it kind of shifted from room to room. It started at the dining room table. Um, I, it was handy enough that our we had a large, um, tall, square dining room table that was um, more of a pub height table. So it was perfect for cutting um, because I didn't have to bend over, but also where the panels, the seams in the wood were, they were at exactly half-yard increments. <laughs> so in the beginning, I didn't even use any sort of a measuring tool um, other than the seam in the wood, which was, which was kind of funny. <laughs> that is funny. So it moved around and then sort of eventually landed in the basement maybe because yeah, there was more it space. started taking over our home and then we, we finished, semi-finished our basement. Um, you know, it was a 1925 colonial, not very big. It was our first home and um, it was definitely a basement. <laughs> right. <laughs> but we right. made it. And, um, okay. So, and then we to, um, to our space that we are in now in Red Hook, New York, um, and we moved to Rhinebeck just one town over in 2011. Okay. So, 
And when you moved there, is that when you chose to also move the business out of the house or did you keep the business in the house for a period? Oh no, we were very ready <laughs> to have it out of the house. Okay. Have our lives back. I think our kids were ready to have it out of the house. In the beginning, it's, you know, we only, we could only have done this business at the exact time that it happened um, because our kids were so small. Um, you know, we couldn't do it now because they, they take so much um, more of your time or a different kind of time um, with sports activities and friends, play dates and school. Um, you know, they used to nap a whole lot more in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know. Um, it. Yeah. You know, they would go to bed, you know, quite a bit earlier. So, and we were also that much younger. Um, so we kind of lived on, on coffee and, and little sleep for, for a long time. I, I would just, uh, cut in the basement till the early, early hours of the morning sometimes. Um, but it got to the point where we, we either had to just stop the business, um, or move because, we just literally didn't even have the space to, to hire anybody. We had a, a couple of um, younger sisters of my friends um, and acquaintances that would work with us, but it just, it wouldn't be enough. The, the cut queue would basically, I would cut all night long or cut all weekend and it would basically stay at the same, <laughs> the same um, number of orders in there. I could ba- basically cut as fast as the orders were coming in or not even that at some time. So it was uh, a big relief to, to move into a warehouse. So now you are in a renovated 19th century chocolate factory in Red Hook Um, and you don't have a retail space there. It's just an online shop. Is that right? That's right. Um, Some local quilt guilds have come in and and friends um, uh, to come in and sew or to come buy fabric, but we really, we couldn't do a retail in an online shop. Um, it's just set up entirely different. And also since the inventory is shown online and when a customer checks out, that immediately will deduct inventory. So if somebody's shopping around with bolts, even though the, the fabric is on the shelves, it might already be purchased. <laughs> it's just not cut yet. So it would be very tricky to manage. Yeah, that's a really and good it's actually, point. It's a pretty fast-moving place, too. Um, so I don't, I don't think we could do what we do and get our orders out as quickly as we do. Right. Um, if we're open to the public. These are two very different kinds of businesses, and I think that that's important to understand. And how many mm-hmm. people now work at Hawthorne Threads altogether? Uh, we have about 30, including myself and Charlie. Okay. So that's a pretty good staff. Yeah, that's pretty that's pretty amazing. And, and you were talking a little earlier about um, getting all the inventory, so buying all these bolts and the risk that is involved in, in funding that because it's not inexpensive to purchase so much fabric, enough fabric to really fill out a store. And the worry there is, you know, maybe, maybe it's not going to sell. And then what, then what are you going to do? So I'm just curious how you funded the business in the beginning. Did you seek out a small business loan or did you just fund it with revenue that was coming in? Did you um, borrow from friends and family? No, we actually, we funded it all ourselves. Um, and, and we had no money. (laughs) We were busy paying back our, our student loans and a mortgage. Um, but pretty much, we would we bought a little bit at a time in the beginning. Um, I think my first order with the uh, Free Spirit might have been eight bolts, and then I followed up maybe a couple weeks later with a ten bolt order from from Michael Miller. Um, and we we would put it just on a credit card. Um, we got a, a separate business credit card, and and pretty quickly since we would pay it back, um, 
basically immediately um, or as, as soon as as soon as we could at the time. I mean, now we we still do the same practice today, and Charlie that's the first thing he does in the morning is pay off all of our credit cards, <laughs> but um, on a timely basis. So our our limit increased pretty quickly. Um, you know, at the at the time. You know, at first we were thinking maybe we hadn't done enough research to try to get a small business loan or um, a lot of the shops, which is pretty much the common practice for quilt shops and online fabric shops, is you you basically, they, the, um, the company will give you terms, which means you can have net 30 or net 60 and sometimes even net 90 if you're a good customer, um, which means basically you can buy the fabric and not have to pay them until those 30, 60, or 90 days. Um, but we never took them up on it. Um, I think that would be more scary for me to owe anybody money. Um, so we never did it, and it, it's worked out, actually. Yeah, that's that's a good... I think that's really important for people to hear, you know, like different ways that this can work, um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be fancy um, to make it work. You know, it can be um, pretty straightforward. And um, if you're doing it right, you can, you, you can, um, you cannot end up in debt and still keep right. going. Um, well, the other, the other side of that coin, I would say is, um, you know, if you are just going to pay it as you go, the, it does come along with a whole lot of work <laughs> um, to make sure that you do sell through that inventory and, and you're not, um, in debt to, to yourself or a credit card company or anybody. Um, and we, like any new business, we had, I don't know, 100-hour work weeks, I'm sure, for a few years there and went down to 80 and 60 and something a little bit more manageable now. Right. And that's two people working, you know, what you're saying is that's two people basically working night and day. Exactly. Um, and that's what it looked like. And that wasn't just for six months. That was for years. You it know? was. Yeah. And that's what it, that's what it took. And I, I want to talk a little bit about what that work consists of because, um, you know, I think one of the things that stands out to me about Hawthorne Threads as an online shop is all of the other stuff that you're doing. Um, so one of them is, first of all, the site itself. So you have this software developer, your husband, who is working yep. on that. And I feel like the site is easy. The site flows. Um, the site is intuitive. It has some special features that are really nice. And I just wanted you to highlight, if you could, some of the things about the site that you're sort of especially proud of or feel like work really nicely. Um, oh, gosh, Charlie, he, he definitely did a, a really great job. He, he has quite a knack for, um, as you said, a, an intuitive site. The, the, it helps you find what you're looking for, even when you didn't realize you were looking for that. <laughs> Um, by pairing, suggesting different fabrics um, in the similar color of the, the fabric that you might be looking at, or um, which also leads to the, the color tool. He has a little grid with all these colors if you're searching um, for a certain shade, and you can adjust that whether you're looking for it um, in high dominance, like the color, the color is found throughout the print, or low dominance, just in the little bits here and there. Um, Pretty early on, um, we knew that we wanted customers um, to be able to, to share their photos of um, anything made with the fabric that you might be looking at. So I think that comes from our, our Etsy days. And um, since we started on Etsy, we had so many small manufacturers on there that would make bags or children's clothing or quilts. And um, 
they it was kind of a win-win because they get to upload their their photo and they can link directly back to wherever they would like, whether it's a blog or their own Etsy shop or Facebook page. Um, but then for our customers shopping for the fabric, um, they get to see um, the true color and the true scale. You know, you get such a better understanding of how big, you know, a flower really is if you see it on a handbag or, or a children's dress. Um, so that's one of my favorite features. And um, I think uh, we haven't checked in a long time, but just, Thousands and thousands of, of pictures have come in, and, and we everybody at the shop just gets a kick out of seeing them all. We actually get an email every time one is added, and um, it's fun when one gets what's passed around um, to the shop, and, and it inspires everybody at the shop to want to make new things too. Yeah, and I think you know sometimes people um, who are used to a more traditional shopping experience for quilting cotton, which would be at a local quilt shop. Um, you know, feel like, well, online shopping, it's not going to be as good because you can't touch the fabric. I mean, that's what I hear mostly. You can't touch the fabric. And, you know, you don't have that experienced shop owner there to help guide you in your choices and ask questions and that sort of thing. And those things are completely true. Those are intangibles that are wonderful about our in-person, you know, shops, our brick-and-mortar shops. But there are, I think, on the other hand, things about an online shopping experience that we also don't get at an in-person shop and what you just mentioned are some of those really special features that enhance the shopping experience and help you in your project Mm -hmm. yeah definitely i mean that adage you know i have to see and touch it and feel it is is definitely among um my mother's generation (laughs) she she would not shop with us she would not be our customer but you know i also understand where you know we can't be everything to everybody um and there's certainly a place for for quilt shops as well um, but, uh, I think the other side of that is that we, we purchase from, um, a lot of the same manufacturers over and over. And I think their, uh, reputation with their, their hand and their quality sort of, um, precedes them. So I think our customers at this point, they don't feel like they have to see and touch it and feel it for the most part. Um, you know, if it's a, an art gallery fabric, they know that it's going to, have a beautiful hand and the color is going to be beautifully saturated. Um, so it, it's really based on the reputation of, of the, the companies that we purchase from as well. Yeah. And I think that that's also shifted perhaps to a degree because of social media. And so, you know, we as consumers are familiar not only with art gallery and the other manufacturers, but also with the designers themselves. And so we know we, as you said, it precedes them, their reputation. We already know what an, you know, Allison Glass's new line looks like. And so, Mm Um, and we are experienced with uh, how it feels as well. And so it's much easier in that way to then purchase online and know what you're getting and when it comes, not be surprised. Exactly. And, and I think even just shopping online in general, um, not just for fabric, for, but for anything, I think there's been a heightened comfort level with that um, than, than there was five, five, ten, five, ten years ago, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important to point out. And I also love, so you have this site, which is wonderful. And, um, and those special features. I also love some of the other things that you're doing, because that's not all, you know, you don't just have a site that's sitting there. You do a lot to drive traffic to that site. Um, one of the things that strikes me most is your email marketing. Um, so I got your emails for a long period of time and they were, thank you. yeah, they are just, 
exactly what you should be doing. I mean, they're beautiful. I have forwarded them to people on multiple occasions because I'm like, this is a model <laughs> for what you should be doing. I'm a, well, a huge... I know you have the new book that just came out about that. Yes, I haven't, I'm a, I haven't seen it yet, but thank you. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of email marketing, and I think it's something that a lot of people miss. Um, mm-hmm. So if you want to maybe tell us a little bit, is this something that Charlie also helped to format and create for you? And what does a typical weekly email consist of? Um, well, gosh, you know, if Charlie is, um, the numbers guy and, you know, we're definitely the yin to each other's yang. I mean, that's a cliche, but we have a very, um, segregated, uh, set of, um, abilities that we bring to the business and they're very different. And I think, actually, I think Charlie even told me about a Harvard business case study that he read in, um, in college that basically said the most, some of the most successful businesses were husband and wife teams with very different strengths. And that's exactly what we are. We have very polar opposite strengths. So he does the, the analytical, um, web design, accounting number side, and, and I take care of which fabric collections we purchase. And, um, very early on, I, I started doing the newsletter and, um, and then shortly thereafter, I think the blog came along and I, that's been the part that I have loved the most. Um, you know, I've always loved pattern design, but I come from more of a family of academics, um, from teachers to professors to speech writers, um, to authors, uh, words have always been very important to all of us. And, and not only that, but I, I really, I've loved kind of figuring out the, the inspiration that all the designers that we've carried, um, you know, what inspires them to make a line. Um, and it's always been kind of fun for me to draw all these different parallels from poetry to art and music and, and see those um, influences and, and collections. And it's been kind of a game for me at times. <laughs> and so I've already shared it in the online newsletters. And I think it's, it's really resonated with people because those are experiences that everybody has. Um, you know, everything is just connected in some way. It's all interdisciplinary, all, all these forms of art. And I really enjoy it. And I'm guessing that level of enjoyment comes off um, in a very honest way in the newsletter. And I think people have really um, enjoyed receiving them. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And there's a there's a little contest at the bottom of each one. Yes, every every newsletter, which, which goes out twice a week now, um, because we, we just get so many collections that it, it became... Um, too many to fit into one. So we do two a week and each one has a giveaway and, um, each one is selected from that, that latest pool of, of entries. And it's open to international customers as well. Um, and so people have definitely enjoyed that. Yeah. And do you find, and just one final newsletter question, cause I'm a newsletter sure. nerd. Do you <laughs> find that, um, that it's effective as far as driving sales? I mean, you know, when you send it out, do you see a surge that day or, or that evening or the next morning for the things that were featured? Oh, definitely. It became kind of a joke at the shop um, probably a couple of years ago now that all, all, the, all the, the staff members helping process the orders, you know, they would keep having to go back to the same collection or something and they'd be like, Oh, that must be in the newsletter. And it, after a while we realized, wait a minute, we should, we should be going over the newsletter, um, after we send it out with the staff right then, not rather than they see it, um, <laughs> a couple days later in their, in their own email or the one they see it go up on the blog, um, just so they can actually set aside <laughs> the collections that are in there, um, on cart. So they have to don't, don't have to continually be putting them 
back on and off the shelves all day long. They can just have them sitting next to the cutting table. So yes, there's an immediate um, influence from the newsletter to, to what sells. Right. And I also think that some, sending it twice a week, I mean, you know, I think there's a lot of fear in the newsletter world regarding uh, sending and oversending. You know, I'm going to be spamming people. It's bothering them and everything else. But what you're saying is that you're writing something in there that pe- does resonate with people and people do enjoy getting and, um, you know, and it's working. And so it's not spam if the people like being part of it and like entering the week, the contest in each one, the, the you know, twins weekly contest. So, um, so that's wonderful. And I, I also think that you do a great job on Instagram. And I wanted to hear a little bit about sort of your approach to Instagram. You also have a contest there that's something somewhat different. Um, and so, you know, what is, do you, do you do the Instagram or do you have a staff member doing it? And what is the strategy there? I want to take a moment now to talk to our sponsor, Porter and Hazel. Hi, I'm Chris Johansson, and along with my wife, Jess, uh, we are the co-owners of Porter and Hazel Custom Leather Jewelry. When did you first start working with leather? 2009. I had gone to college for fine arts, so I've always been kind of crafty, artisty kind of thing, and kind of stumbled into leather um, just as a new material, different medium. And fell in love with some of the qualities that leather has, um, particularly how rich and deep the colors can get and how natural everything seems to look. And what's your most popular product at Porter and Hazel right now? Uh, we do a lot of the, um, the wraps, the skinny wraps with custom wording on there. This way people can kind of, you know, go with either a private joke or you know, something really sweet, um, or they can go with an inspirational reminder. Um, we've done a lot of different types of words and quotes from people. And these are like leather wrap bracelets. They're super cute. I love them. Thank you. And you make wallets and leather tags for luggage and keychains are popular too. Mm -hmm. Um, also doing belts now and collars for cats and dogs. Yep. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show, Porter and Hazel. And now back to my conversation with Lindsay. Um, I do do the Instagram mostly. Um, another girl, Megan, that helps me with marketing, she'll she'll do it from time to time, or, or I'll ask her, I'll have an idea of something to post, and I'll ask her to take a picture, and then I might write up the post if she, she sends me the picture. Um, it's been a lot of fun. We were definitely late to the game on Instagram, I would say. Um, I think we only started it maybe a year ago or perhaps even less. Um, something kind of like podcasts that I'd heard all about but hadn't really taken the time to, to research and, and um, be open to and make the time for it. And we're so glad we did because it's, it's just another way to, to get connected with customers and see what everybody's making. Um, and it's, we've had a good time with it. It's been really fun. Yeah, and I want to point out that you have, at the time we're talking, 16.8 thousand followers there. And I'm imagining that it's working as far as driving traffic and sales as well. I mean, it's a little harder to track with Instagram. Um, unless I mean, on Facebook, you can get statistics because you have that direct link. Right. Um, And are you, are you, I didn't actually do any research on your Facebook. Is Facebook working for you? Definitely. You can see the the metrics in there. Um, taking a look at Google analytics, um, has definitely been helpful at times and, you can see, you can set up goals within that. I'm not sure how familiar some of your, your listeners are to that, but um, you can tell where the traffic is coming from and you can set up goals to see how many 
page views they do and um, do they get to the checkout page and how many of those people actually check out. So it's a really good way to, to check on the quality of the traffic um, for Facebook or blogs or, or anything like that. But there really isn't anything for, for um, Instagram right now other than, as you say, your, your followers and the comments. But, um, you know, I think people just like getting that backstage view of things. Um, and it's just another way to humanize the, the company and get to know people a little bit better and have them get to know us. Uh, so I, I think it, it can only be a good thing, even yeah. if there are any metrics for it. Yes, absolutely. And then you also, as you mentioned earlier, you have the blog, you post the newsletter on the blog, and then you do some other kinds of blog content. And do you still feel like blogging is relevant? I mean, I know there's all these other, you know, ways to, to interact with your followers and your customers online. Um, does the blog remain important to you? Um, I would love to be able to do it more, <laughs> um, like anybody else, um, you know, there's just not enough hours in the day sometimes. Um, and yes, I think Instagram has become sort of, um, shorthand for, for blogging, um, in a way. So I, I think I'm seeing fewer in-depth blog posts from, from a lot of people, um, which, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, um, because sometimes that might precipitate more quality than quantity. You know, I, I think there's a trend that, Sometimes people blog because they feel like they have to blog or they're blogging because they're supposed to because they've taken on sponsorships and they might not be blogging about something that they are really inspired to, to blog about. Um, so in a way, that, that regression, is it could be almost a welcome thing um, to take the, the salesiness out of things. Hmm, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I want to talk a little bit about one of your newer projects, which I think is incredibly exciting, which is that you're designing fabric and producing fabric, um, you know, right at Hawthorne Threads, which is so interesting and neat and unusual, I feel like, for an online fabric shop. So um, you have a digital printer and I actually visited Spoonflower a few months ago and got to see digital fabric printing uh, in person and it's it's really something else and so it sounds like you have one of those digital printers that's been kind of tripped out to do fabric um, and you're working with a designer to create the actual artwork but you are very involved in choosing the motifs and the colors and that sort of thing and so I just wanted to hear a little bit about like the story how did it occur to you to decide to invest in this gigantic piece of equipment and learn. I mean, I know that there's a learning process involved. There's waste at the beginning when you're trying to figure it out. Um, it, you know, it's not always perfect from the get-go. Um, but, and how is it working for you? I mean, do you find that you're, you've got four collections, I think now? Are they, are they doing nicely? Um, I think we just released our 12. Oh my gosh. I'm so <laughs> off. I apologize. Um, okay. 12 collections. Wow. That's I mean, incredible. Lucky 13 is a, is actually a Halloween inspired line. Um, I just realized that. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's good. So, okay. So, um, so 12 collections under your belt. So you've got a fair amount of, um, experience now. Uh, so tell me about how this all came about. Um, you know, I've, I've always loved pattern design and, you know, I think in retrospect, I realized that I was missing 
out on a little bit more of the creative process. Um, in the beginning, when we started our shop, um, I did take more time to, to sew and, and, as you said, to blog and to, to share about the projects I was working on. And, and lately, my projects, they've become very sporadic um, with long stretches in between sometimes, or, or more likely, they turn into sewing projects that I do with my daughter, who is eight and absolutely loves to sew, so... Um, which is all well and good, of course. She's going to far surpass my own skills pretty pretty quickly, I think. Um, so I hadn't been doing too much sewing that was for me. Um, you know, they'd turn into projects that I would do with her, so that would definitely change the direction of the project. Um, and, I, you know, it's like all those things in our, our, our business, it just came about after a late night talking with Charlie, and we decided um, we were going to try it and... Um, I have a, an in-house graphic designer that works with me, um, and, you know, the, the concepts are, are mine, and uh, the coloring is mine, and then the other, I have one other girl that helps me with that as well, um, but I just, I really like the idea of telling a story, and just from beginning to end, the, the creative process of it, um, all down to, to naming the colors and naming the prints, um, to really make something that's um, this cohesive unit, then, but of course people are going to just go ahead and, and break up and pull apart and make something entirely new out of it, which is even better, actually. Um, but it's been just really fun from the creative aspect. Um, from the printing aspect, that's, it's been quite a learning experience, I will say, and that, that has been Charlie's um, aspect of it, so I have more of the fun part <laughs> <laughs> of designing, um, which has worked fabulously it's been a lot of fun and there's been really no hiccups in that um and in fact some people have remarked to us that um our collections look a bit different um than traditional screen printed methods and i, I think there's a couple reasons for that um like everything else we we came into this extremely naive and didn't know how things were done in the past um so just having different um ways of doing things or not, not knowing how things were done in the past, I think has opened up our creativity to, to just trying it in different ways because we didn't know you could do it any other way. Yeah. Um, so give me an example of sort of the naivety, um, working in your favor, you know, like a time when you were like, Oh, we just did it this way. And then it turned out later, you're like, Oh wait, you were supposed to do <laughs> something entirely different. Um, well, like how, how, people will put patterns into repeat. Um, there's very traditional methods, which are actually driven by the limitations of the screen printing, printing process. Um, you know, they're limited to a certain size, and we could have a, a repeat, really, that's, um, you know, as long as the roll of the fabric, if we really wanted to, um, just because the, the methodology of, of printing out is, is just different than the traditional screen. Like, you can only have a repeat as big as your screen, which is generally a... 24-inch repeat is, is pretty much as big as, as you can get it. So if you're not limited to um, those constraints or whether you're doing, um, I don't even know what the names of all of them are, like a half-drop repeat or or anything like that, you're, if you don't have those limitations um, from the get-go, um, you just have complete freedom of, of how you're, you're going to put your different motifs in different places. And, and you can really often not even see a pattern um, because the repeat is so large. Wow. Yeah, that's really cool. And did you, 
Um, so the printer itself, did you have to order this? Like, I know that at Spoonflower, the, the ones that they have that sound like the one that's similar to the one that you have, they ordered from Korea. Is that where yours came from? Um, I believe so. Okay. <laughs> All right. Again, that's uh, a question for Charlie. That was Charlie's. Okay, cool. Definitely, and, definitely overseas. <laughs> okay, definitely overseas. And um, and in the beginning, I mean, were, were were there some struggles with it? I mean, sort of a learning process as far as not not the fabric design itself, but the, the mm-hmm. actual physical you know aspect of printing and um, and getting things to be color fast and you know all of that stuff. Yes, definitely. Um, I mean, it's not something for faint of heart. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I hear. Like many business endeavors, not so much the color fastness, more of um, what to do when the printer is not working, (laughs) essentially. Right. Which um, almost seems to happen if you sneeze on it. (laughs) Yes, that's what I hear about those. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They're very finicky machines. Um, So, you know, if something is off half a millimeter, you know, you could get blurring or... um, head strikes, you know, when the, the print head actually touches the fabric. And then, of course, you can't send that to a customer. So there, there are a lot of things that can go wrong um, in uh, less than perfect conditions. So yeah. we, we've learned quite a lot about the printer, um, taking it apart and putting it back together ourselves. And um, I feel like we know it pretty well now. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like, does your printer have a name? I feel like when you have that intimate relationship with the machine, sometimes <laughs> you end up naming it. <laughs> yes, actually. Um, well, it came with the, the name Diva, and she did quite live up to her name. But <laughs> when, <laughs> when we got the second, um, Diva 1 and Diva, Diva 2 didn't quite flow, roll off the tongue. So um, I think my husband named them. Um, I think we're picking city names for whatever reason, um, alphabetically. So. Amsterdam and then Barcelona. <laughs> They're probably all going to be soccer names because my, my son is a, a huge international soccer fan. And so. it sounds like you've yeah. got plans for more printers. So that that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good. That's so cool. And, um, and are customers digging it? I mean, are they like, cool, like this is super exclusive, you know, fabric that only Hawthorne Thread Threads has. Like you're not, um, you know, producing for other shops or, um, you know, it's not available elsewhere. Yes, definitely. Um, you know, it, it does have a different look, and I think people like um, there's a, there's another level of hand drawn um, detail that you can achieve in digital printing, and we've really taken advantage of that. I mean, a lot of people talk about um, color being the the large advantage to digital printing because you can you're not limited to a number of colors. Um, you know, you can put hundred colors in there if you really want. Um, whereas overseas in uh, screen printing, you're you're limited to uh, more of a handful of colors. Um, but that's not something we really tackled. Um, it was more the fine, fine detail. Um, so unfortunately, um, technology hasn't quite uh, caught up to um, to speed for right now. So we can only print, um, you know, so many yards an hour uh, to get that fine level of detail. There are printers out there on the market that can print hundred to over a hundred yards an hour, but you would, um, have to sacrifice that fine detail. Mm-hmm. So actually we're, we're holding off on, on buying those, um, 
very expensive, very fast printers, um, just because we don't we don't want to sacrifice that. So, so we're, we're waiting and hopefully hoping that technology will catch up uh, sooner rather than later, which generally is the case. Yeah, yeah, I hope it does too. I think that's really it's, it's such an exciting area for growth. And I mean, I don't I I don't know if you know I don't know of any other fabrics shops that are also digitally printing, designing and printing their own fabrics. I mean, I think it's pretty, maybe there are another, there, maybe they're out there and I don't know about them, but I think it's pretty rare or quilt shops or just, you know, a shop that sells fabric from, you know, the the bigger manufacturers, but it's also designing their own. Um, I don't know of any actually, um, that's also designing in-house, um, yeah, that's definitely different. It's, yeah, um, it sets you apart, and um, you know, it's a it's a a specialty item that people have to come to you for, and can get excited about the the business with you, you know, right along with you. So, um, I think that's really interesting, and um, I just want to talk about you a little bit uh, on more of a personal note. So, you grew up in a, a family of four girls. Um, it sounds like you had a pretty creative mom. And then, um, and then when you were in college, you were a geology major, which actually my husband, who's also named Charlie was also a geology yeah, major. <laughs> he was also a geology major in college and is doing nothing geology related. Um, but I just wondered if you always sort of, you know, thought of yourself like, Hey, I'm going to grow up and be an entrepreneur or be in a creative field, or was this really a surprise for you? Um, a complete shock. It's not something I ever would have thought out. Um, I think my, my husband has more of a mind for business, but he never would have thought out anything, um, creative like this. Um, so it was, it was definitely, uh, a meeting of opposite ends of the spectrum to make it work. Um, but no, I, I had every intention of going to grad school, um, and, uh, pursuing more of an academic life. Um, it's been surprising and fun and, and more challenging than I ever thought I would be able to challenge myself. Um, you know, I think we've realized that fortunately or unfortunately we thrive on these challenges. <laughs> um, and, uh, we've, we've never sort of sat on, on our laurels. We've, we've just kind of, we're always looking ahead, um, what to do next. Um, it's been a lot of work, but also a lot of fun. Can you recall, um, and I swear this is my last question, can you recall <laughs> um, a, a time, I'm just wondering if you can recall a time that was like one of those particularly sweaty moments, you know, when you were like, I don't know, maybe had a ton of orders backed up and no way to meet them or the printer was not working or, you know, just one of those moments where that stands out to you being like, that was a crisis time right there. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, there's a few that stand out, but one would definitely be right before we moved out of our house in Albany into the chocolate factory. Um, my husband and kids were away in, in Maine for a wedding that I didn't go to because somebody had to man the Etsy shop. <laughs> um, and so I was left home, actually, with uh, all of the orders and the, the conversations and all that from Etsy. And my in-law's dog, two dogs, and my own dog. And I just remember cutting all day long. Um, and then the, <laughs> my in-laws dogs, they were male dogs and they decided that they liked, um, marking their territory on the bolts of fabric. Oh my God. <laughs> and it happened to be an extremely busy weekend. It was July 4th weekend, which we anticipated would be slow for sale. Um, but it happened to be, I don't know why we still don't know why, but one of our busiest weekends at that time to date. So I was just drowning in, in orders and, um, 
I think I eventually wound up in the emergency room, to be honest. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. And probably too much caffeine, a little dehydration. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, but, you know, you made it through, right? Like, uh-huh. here we are on the other side with this beautiful website and a staff of 30 Um you know, it, it's funny to look back and, and think about all, all, all that went into building it. Um, but I think it's really helpful to people to hear, to hear about that because it looks so polished now and it looks so seamless and, um, yeah, you know, and it, and things like that, just, they don't just drop from the sky. You know, there was, there was a process, a long process and a lot of equity and sweat equity that went into it. So I think it's important for people to hear you know, that there were hard times. Yeah. I mean, and it doesn't like anything else. It doesn't look that polished, um, in the shop, you know, sometimes it's nice to take that veil away for people who think that everything has to be perfect. You know, you're only seeing what's in the frame (laughs) of that photo. Um, even if there's, there's chaos and, um, you know, fabric scraps flying all over the place behind that. Um, but the important thing is we, we really set out to, to create a space that um, we liked working, going to work every day. And, and to do that, you know, it's, it's really great for our staff because um, it's just always been at the forefront uh, to create a space you want to be in every day and work with people that you like. Um, so we've, we've worked hard at creating this community atmosphere in our shop, and it's, um, it's been a fun place to work. Yeah. So what's next? I think you, you said that you have a Halloween collection number 13, um, getting ready to print. And uh, what else can we look forward to sort of coming into the fall from Hawthorne Threads? Um, well, the Halloween line is called Bewitched. Um, and it's actually, uh, it's basically our Calliope collection. That was one of our first ones. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the muse, Greek muse of inspiration. Um, she's been bewitched, basically. So we've turned a lot of the, the, the prints from there into a, a Halloween theme. So it's, it's been a lot of fun to do that, actually. And then the next one we're working on right now, we haven't, I don't think we've had any sneak peeks at all on Instagram, but um, it's uh, going to be called Rome, and it's uh, centered around this really awesome bison, uh, which didn't exactly come off as the, the greatest name for the collection. So it's kind of, where the buffalo roam. I get <laughs> so it. Okay. <laughs> Got it. Okay. It's a kind of a, a Western themed, um, but not in the tacky sense <laughs> collection um, that we're really excited to, to work on next. All right. That's super. Um, and you'll be at Quilt Market in the fall? We will. All right. Okay, That's cool. Really, um, a couple of our staff members come with us. So, yeah, we'll definitely be there. Super. Um, and so um, I want to make sure we get to some of your recommendations because you had a few really good ones. So um, we're going to start with the first one, which is Uppercase Magazine, of which I'm a huge fan as well. I'm not surprised. <laughs> I love it. Um, actually, Nikki, the owner of uh, Wyndham Fabrics, turned me on to this, this magazine, so I can't take the credit. Um uh, he sent his, I think he just sent me a copy actually knowing that I would enjoy it and he was totally right um, for anybody that doesn't know the magazine or hasn't come across it it's just this really beautiful compendium of artwork um, of really all kinds of, of shapes and forms um, you know from one magazine that might be talking about typography or color theory um, 
sometimes really esoteric things like, um, and I think recently there was a paint, oil paintings of uh, antique spoons. <laughs> um, and then I think uh, one of the earlier uh, magazines was talking about the, the invention of the screw, <laughs> like just all kinds of things um, that you might never use in your everyday life, but it's just it's displayed in a beautiful way that just, you can't help but be inspired, and it's a really nice thing to just sit down and have a cup of coffee with. Yeah, and these are magazines that you're going to save. You're not going to pop this in the recycling when the, when the new issue comes, like I do with some of my other magazines. I have right. my uppercase magazines on my shelf in order, and so I love them, and they smell good, too, I will mention. Am I yeah, right? I should do that. They do smell good. You're right. Right? Like you get it, and there's like this uppercase smell. It's I don't know. It must be the ink or something because it does smell good. Um, okay, so that's a good one. And Janine, um, uh, is a, she's the editor, and she's wonderful as well. Um, okay, so I want to talk about um, something else you wanted to recommend, which is quilting over topographic maps. This sounds like a throwback to your geology training. Yeah, I think pretty literally I've just come full circle. <laughs> um, it, it was I, I bought a, one of those typographic, typographic um, maps that was on a handkerchief um, a few years ago in Rocky Mountain National Park. I was there with my father, so I bought one. I bought two. I figured I would maybe make something for him and myself out of it. Um, and just recently had gotten around to it because my dad actually had a birthday, and he just closed on uh, a new cabin pretty near to us where we live um, yesterday. So it was kind of a birthday housewarming gift. Um, so I, I used the, the square handkerchief and it's uh, the topographic map of Rocky Mountain National Park, and I made it into a patchwork pillow. I just did like a simple log cabin um, patchwork design around it and then added some tassels. But the, the really fun part was, was quilting over the, um, the trail that, that we were on in the park. Um, just as a really nice memento. And um, I definitely see a lot more of those in my future. I have a, another scarf that I bought in Death Valley. And um, that was the line that actually inspired our coyote collection. So now I can really come full circle there and, and use our coyote fabrics um, in a, a pillow or a quilt um, or a wall hanging with the, the Death Valley topographic map. So yeah, that's such I a recommend neat, it. Yeah, that's such a neat idea and a neat way to keep and use those souvenirs that you're buying on these travels and actually have them out on the couch, you know, where everybody can see them and use them all the time. Yeah, I don't... I. I don't know if anybody's done this before, um, but I, I posted on, on Instagram a couple of days ago and there was a really great response, you know, cause everybody at one time or another finds, finds themselves at a, a national park, um, hopefully. And so I think it, it resonates with a lot of people and, and, um, and their childhood memories or the memories that they're making with their own children. So it's, yeah, it's a nice, it's a really nice memento to, to make and keep. Yeah, that's lovely. Um, okay. And you have one final one, which is window shopping for weavings online. And I think if, if I'm right about what you mean by that, I think mm-hmm. I do the same thing because weaving has just totally come back and it's amazing. And I, I've never done it, but I just watch it and, and see these beautiful, um, weavings. And I follow a bunch of weavers now on Instagram because Uh it's just so fun. So, uh, tell me a little bit about that. Um, they're just, they're just gorgeous. I mean, I've, I've looked to them a lot recently for just color and texture inspiration. Um, and I've bought a couple of them and I, I've, 
I tell myself I'm not allowed to buy anymore because I need to, I need to learn how to make them. <laughs> um, it just looks like a whole lot of fun. And, um, you know, we have some big spaces on our walls that are just calling for, for one of those. And it's a, it's a fun way to play with color, um, you know, in just a, a different art form and, uh, and I think texture really- too. Yeah. Yeah. Cause some of them, you know, they have sort of loose yarns, you know, in, in bunches kind of coming off of them in the middle or in the bottom. And it's just so textural as well as, as colorful and abstract, you know, it's super abstract. So, which I love. Um, and it, and it is kind of, it's like this throwback to the seventies, but it's really back again and it's super mod now. Yeah. I mean, I could see my daughter getting into it with me as well, just because as you say, you can touch it and feel it. And, you know, that lends itself really well to, to kids activities. Um, you know, I definitely see her wanting to make some simple weavings and, um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, that's a good idea too. Well, Lindsay, it's been great talking with you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Walsh Naps podcast. Oh, thank you. It was very nice to meet you, Abby. Yeah, nice to meet you too. And you've been listening to the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg, and I invite you to visit my blog, WalshyNaps.com, where you'll find helpful information for creative entrepreneurs, as well as tutorials and patterns for making stuffed animals and dolls. And if you enjoy this show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much to Porter and Hazel for sponsoring the podcast today. Porter and Hazel want you to know that words are all around us. We use them casually all the time, but words have meaning. They move and shape and inspire and motivate us and remind us of who we are and who we're trying to become. These are the words we keep close that we wrap ourselves in. Let Porter and Hazel transform your words into something you can hold and keep with you always. Porter and Hazel, wear your heart on your wrist. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.